to be the one to thank the Lord. I want to bring glory to his name. Ten receive their healing by the power of God's Son. Out of those there came to thank him, only one. When Jesus walked upon this earth so many years ago, he saw ten lepers standing off the Lord they did not know. He gave them life and healing from his Father's bounteous store and sent them off in liberty, for they were ill no more. I want to be the one to thank the Lord. I want to bring glory to his name. Ten receive their healing by the power of God's Son. Out of those there came to thank him, only one. When Jesus saved my soul one day, he gave me life anew. His precious blood he sacrificed, he died for me and you. Oh, let us not forget it now, our God's amazing grace. For him to save a soul like mine deserves my highest praise. I want to be the one to thank my Lord. I want to bring glory to his name. Ten receive their healing by the power of God's Son. Out of those there came to thank him. Only one, Lord, I want to be that Worthy to be thanked, isn't he? If you've experienced the forgiveness that God has to offer through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already talked about yesterday morning and in the evening about the price that was paid on Calvary on our behalf, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf, all so that we could experience total forgiveness. Yes, I want to be the one to thank my Lord. And I hope that's your heart's desire even now that you'd be full of gratitude to God for his great mercy that he's given to you. And not to let it just be a statement that's said in church and that we say amen to because we know we're supposed to, but to have a true heart of thankfulness to the Lord for the great things that he's done for us. It's good to see you out tonight. Glad that you're here. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Nehemiah. And we're going to begin tonight in chapter 8. And while you are finding your place, let me just kind of uh, banter with you just a little bit and say uh, that I do hope you had a good day. Um, it's nice to have this temperature come up just a little bit. Now, actually, where it was today is where it could stop if it were my, you know, if I were choosing. This was gorgeous and enjoyed the weather today and glad that you're here tonight. It's a great group on out, out on a Monday night. Um, I don't know what you normally have out when you meet on Monday, but this is a good group as far as I know. And so thanks for being out. And I hope you'll come to the rest of the services. I already had the opportunity to meet at least a couple of people who are guests here, that is, you're not members of Marlbrook Baptist Church, but you're a visitor or a guest, 
And um, I'm a guest as well, so from one guest to another, welcome. Glad that you're here. And uh, sincerely, I, um, you, you are welcome to come to every service that you would like to. We meet tonight, of course, you're here, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, each at 7 o'clock. And uh, so you're invited to continue to come if you'd like to, and to bring other folks. We'd love to have as many join us as, uh, as would, would like to, and even some that don't want to. We'd like to invite them to come as well. And uh, unashamedly, we proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of the God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, and uh, we stand firm on the Scriptures. That is, we believe that we can build a life based upon what God has said in His Word, and that what God says works. Even when it pushes in the face of society, we believe that what God says works. And so each night, I say that um, just to let you know so that when you're inviting people and they ask, well, what is it like? Each night we'll have singing like we did tonight, and each night we'll take some time to look and see what God has to say in his word and how it applies to our lives and why it matters for us, for you, for myself as well. Um, and then let me, I, I want to just um, address something openly here so that it can be addressed and done and it'll put um, everybody at ease, I think. Um, my, my wife is especially conscious right now because two days ago something happened with her eye. Um, we think maybe like a, a sty or something like that, and then all of a sudden it just started uh, puffing up and and causing problems, and she is very conscious. She said it would be the side that everybody looks at while I'm playing the piano, or her eye puffed up. And of course, everybody, I mean, you understand this. All of us are the same in that we think more about us than what anybody else thinks about us, but she was conscious. And she was concerned that people might think that she and I got in a fight. <laughs> And then I did that to her, and I told her, look, I will just let people know that I gave you the first shot, and you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't defend yourself at, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, it's not contagious. We're probably going to go get it looked at to make sure it's nothing serious, but it's not anything contagious or anything like that. It's not COVID-related, anything, unless, unless, of course, it helps the numbers or gets us um, better insurance money or something like that. Then it is, obviously, um, because of COVID. But, but um, it, it'll put you at ease in talking to her, and it'll put her at ease knowing that you know that she knows that you know that there's something different on the, on the side of her face. And all the guys are like, no, I didn't even notice. And the ladies are like, I understand completely. So, <laughs> All right, Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we'll be tonight. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 here in just a moment. And we're going to read all the way down through verse number 8. Now, the reason why I tell you the number of verses we're reading is because typically I have folks stand to show our public respect for the Scriptures. But because of the number of verses that I'm going to read... And how long it is, I'm going to have you remain seated while we look at this. But um, we do, of course, show respect to the Bible, the Scriptures, anytime we read it. What we're about to read in Nehemiah 8 is a historical account of a revival service that took place in Israel in a time when they desperately needed revival. If I were to make the statement tonight, hey, um, America needs revival, would, would you agree with that? And when we talk about revival, we're talking about a coming back to God. And there is a sense in which America as a nation needs a revival in a desperate way just to realize that there is a God who rules sovereign over all things, whose law stands above all of the rest, uh, whose creator, uh, whose creation rather we are. 
We need a revival and a return to that. If I were to say that um, our churches need revival, would you agree with that? I would say that is certainly the case. And sometimes there's some confusion about what that means. And part of that is because of a lack of clarity when preaching. And sometimes it's just because in our brains we think different things. We associate different things with the word revival. If you grew up in church, and especially in the South, if you grew up in the church, then when you hear revival, you may automatically think of a tent being set up and chairs being set up and sawdust on aisles. We don't know why, but we put sawdust on aisles and a choir that sings a little bit louder and music that's a little faster paced and preaching that's a little bit louder and shouts and kind of gets in your face a little bit more. And we have this idea of what revival is all about. But biblically, when we talk about revival, what we're talking about is a return back to where God would have us to be so that God can then pour out his blessing, his grace, his enabling, so that we can do what it is we're supposed to do. Let me say it again because this is important, not only for tonight, but for us to understand what it is we're having meetings about to be on the same page. Revival is when God enables or God blesses or God gives his grace on his people as a result of our coming back to God's way of living, to being what God would have us to be. It is true that God is the sovereign of revival. That is, it is God who must put his hand of blessing on his people. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. That is true. But it is also true if you look honestly at Scripture that there is a responsibility of God's people to come to God, to walk in the light of who God is, in the light of his way. And James it's put this way, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. It is God that holds the power. It is God that must bless. It is God who can do a work. And I will tell you, we stand. We stand in need of seeing God do a work. Right now, without knowing anybody's family situation at all, I would guess that probably at least 80% of you to whom I'm privileged to preach tonight, you have family members who perhaps live in the area who... Either they have accepted Christ as Savior and, and gone away, they're backslidden, or else they're not believers at all, or else you don't know. And you want to see God use you. You want to see their hearts stirred to come back to God or to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be convinced of their need of him and his sufficiency to save them. You and I want to see the hand of God, uh, his blessing on us, don't we? I mean, don't we want to have God's grace in our life so that we can live at the level where God wants us to live and be the people that God made us to be, to live with the joy of our salvation as not just something about which we sing and read, but to have it be a reality in my life? to experience the wisdom and help and instruction that comes from God so that we know how to give an answer regarding the hope that lies within us. My point is, is that we need a stirring of God in our lives. We need a revival. So that when I read Nehemiah chapter 8, and I read 
this service, the account of what took place here, and you can see how God stirred and moved in these people who needed it desperately, I can't help but think to myself, okay, I want to see what it was that, that, that allowed this to happen. God is the cause. But what is it that brought these people to the place where God was willing to put his hand of blessing and power on these people, to revive them again, to turn his face to shine upon them. What is it that happened? So let, let me read for you the account of the service, and then I want to share with you what I saw as I looked through this portion of Scripture and some others surrounding it. Chapter 8, Nehemiah, verse 1, the Bible says this. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Okay, time out real quickly. Anytime you're reading a historical account of a passage of Scripture, if you can allow yourself to see the sights and to smell the smells and to kind of get the sense of the emotion of what's going on, it will help you. These people are in the middle of Jerusalem. What has taken place is that the walls by Nehemiah and the people have just been rebuilt and so now there's, there's anticipation because a great work has been accomplished. And so now there's anticipation of God doing something, and God does. They have this meeting where uh, all the people of the city come out, which we'll read about in just a moment, and they have this takes place. Halfway through verse number one, they stood um, before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra, he was the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation. The congregation was made up both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding. That is, kiddos that were old enough to get it. And this was upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until the midday. Picture it in your brain. Before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Now, when you hear pulpit of wood, think platform, because that's what the Bible's talking about, a, a platform or a pulpit of wood. So Ezra, uh, try again, Tim, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and then there's a lot of men mentioned, and I would massacre their names, so I'm going to skip them. But all these men were standing up beside him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people on this platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Teshatha, uh, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, Hey, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. 
Father, tonight, as we take a few moments to learn from this passage what I think you have, for, uh, have intended for us to learn, help me, please, to clearly give what you say in your heart and your mind, not, not what I think, but what you think. If there are things that I'm planning on saying that, that would not benefit anyone or they're not a part of your thinking, your heart, then help those things to just fall from my mind. And again, Father, as I asked you already, if there are things that I'm not planning on saying, but it would help someone, even if it's confrontational, then I pray that you'd help me to know that you want me to say it and give me the courage to say unapologetically what it is that you have said. And I ask this, Father, of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're paying attention to the passage as we read through it, you'll notice the storyline of what takes place. Basically, we just have the picture set up of what this service looked like. The service took place inside the city walls, and it was before the gate. It was called the Water Gate, and they had built a pulpit or a platform, rather, where there were a group of men, I think I counted nine or 10, 11 men, that stood across this pulpit, or across this platform, rather, and then all the people that were within the city came out and they stood, the Bible says, from the morning until the midday, and they called to Ezra, who was the scribe, who brought out the law of God, laid it out before the people, and then they would read the, the, the law of God, and then the men would explain what the Bible was talking about. Okay, so again, as I mentioned, this is a service where God shows up to the, to the degree that when the men are finished with this service, Nehemiah stands before the people. He was the Tershath, the governor, and he says to all the people, hey, 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 stop, stop weeping, stop crying, because all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Okay, now listen, the point of this is not that when the Bible is preached or when the word of God is given that people should cry. It's, it's not a matter of that crying is the answer to things. Now, sometimes there does need to be an attitude of uh, reflection, repentance, and perhaps tears would accompany that when we are confronted with areas of our lives where we don't match up to that which we know God would desire for us. So that there may be at times tears. But the point is not that they cried when they heard the words of the law, but rather that they responded when they heard the words of the law. I began to some time ago look through Nehemiah, and I saw this service, and I thought to myself, I've got to see what it is that took place. What led into this? Why did this service take place? Immediately in chapter 8, you can see what one of the main components of this service is. The main component, it, well, it's found in verse number 8. Look, look, look at verse number 8. And uh, the Bible says this. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Okay, so obviously, when this service took place, um, there was a great emphasis put on the preaching or the explaining of the Word of God, right? This is, this, this is key. Now, this is almost flyover ground for us because we hear it so often that I think we don't think about it. But listen, folks, listen, please. Don't ever undermine or put down in your mind the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. Okay, now listen. 
when I'm talking about preaching, don't think to yourself a certain style. Are you with me? Sometimes we get the idea that preaching is... But that's not always preaching. Preaching does not have to do with how a voice inflection happens when someone delivers a message. There are people that are built passionately, and everything they deliver are going to be, it's going to be given in a passionate way so that the, that the pulpit might be hit or a foot might be stomped. But there are people who are also able to teach and preach the Bible, some of them while leaning on the pulpit like this and never raising their voice. The emphasis, and listen to me, the important thing is not the way in which it is given, but listen, it is what is given. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. They told the people what the Bible says, and they explained what it means. That is preaching. And friends, listen to me. If we're going to ever have revival, if you're ever going to have the power of God on your life, it will not happen outside of the preaching of the word of God. And there's two reasons why I mention this. Let me, let me give them to you. Stay with me, please. Number one is because um, for young people who are here, or if any of you ever move away from this area, and you're going to find a, a church to go to. Sometimes the temptation can be to go someplace where you, you like the style of what is done. You like the emotions up, the emotions down. You like, you like, you like a certain way that it's done. Okay, but friend, listen to me. You can certainly build a crowd with the right kind of music and the right kind of lights and a person who can tell a funny story and a sad story and a funny story and a sad story, you can, you can certainly build a crowd, and you can even work up emotion so that people can work themselves into a shouting frenzy. But you cannot, you cannot have revival in the hearts of people. You will not have a Nehemiah 8 service unless you have the explanation of the Word of God, which involves both the delivering and the receiving. That is, it's my responsibility, it's pastor's responsibility to stand up and, and preach. That is, read and explain, here's what the Bible says, and here's why it matters. But friends, it, it doesn't matter if your, if your ears aren't attentive unto the words of the law. Okay, so let, may, I just, may I just kind of, as a application, can I just kind of throw something out and let me, let me just ask you to think about it, to consider it? If God's blessing, if the extent of God's hand stirring in Marlbrook Baptist Church in the hearts of the people were dependent upon your attentiveness to the word of God, How much of God would you experience? 
I have, I have a concern. Because I know how much the devil hates God's word. I have a concern that we have gotten into a habit of church and a habit of saying, yes, preaching, amen, Brother Tim, preach, that's right, amen. But the actions of our lives, the choices that we make, don't help promote the preaching. I'll just give you a for instance. Saturday night is oftentimes the latest night we stay up. And Sunday afternoon, as soon as the service is over, we head home and turn on the TV and watch whatever sport happens to be in season. Okay, is there anything intrinsically wrong with staying up late? No. Is there anything wrong with sports? No. But what I'm saying is, if we say preaching is important and what we give it is 30 minutes of our brain, and if God will work in our heart in that 30 minutes, amen, I'll come to an altar. And that's the amount of impact. It's no wonder we lack the power of God. It's no wonder that we're without what God intends for us. And please, don't come away with this. Don't, don't come away from this, rather, with the pharisaical, uh, okay, thou shalt not stay up latest on Saturday night. <laughs> and thou shalt not watch football on Sunday afternoon. What I'm saying to you, what I am trying to call you to do is just to think through what you're doing. If you say you want revival, and we know that revival happens when the word of God is preached, which involves the giving of it and the receiving of it, and if the word of God preached is supposed to take up root in my life and supposed to impact me, then I ought to come to church with the intention of listening and hearing and leave with the intention of consideration of what is said so that it can impact my life so that the power of God can work in me. Do you, do, you see, do you see how this works, how the thought process flows? Okay, so if you want to have Nehemiah 8 services, you've got to have the preaching of the Word of God. Hey, if you want to have Nehemiah 8 services, you have to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. Would you mind turning back with me to chapter 1 in order to see what took place leading up to this very special service where God moved in a special way? And basically, in the first chapter of Nehemiah, we are introduced to the man, Nehemiah, who was a slave in a foreign land. In fact, um, he, he served a king by the name of Artaxerxes. He was in his winter palace in a place called Shushan, if you, if you care about that. And his responsibility was that he was the cup bearer to the king. That is, he was the food taster, food tester. He would have brought food to the king. And if tradition is correct, he probably would have been a confidant of the king, an advisor to the king. And this is just when the king happened to be in Shushan, um, when he was in his winter, when he was in his winter palace. So we begin to read about Nehemiah. And the Bible says in verse number two that he had visitors. Han and I, one of my brethren, Nehemiah says, came. He came to where I am, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, hey guys, how are the Jews that had escaped from the captivity? Because Nehemiah was not. He had stayed in 
in uh, captivity, which were left of the captivity, and how, how is Jerusalem? And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates that are up are burned with fire. Okay, stop real quickly. Hey, was the news from home good or bad? Okay, awful. How are things back home? Well, back in Jerusalem, walls are pushed over, gates are burned with fire. Okay, stop real quickly. And let me just let me just draw a um, just draw a parallel. Now, if you can't you cannot build you cannot build a doctrine on what I'm about to do, but but hear me just for a second. When I read about the condition of Jerusalem, I cannot help but think to myself, man, that's a great picture of what the lives of, of people today are like. Jerusalem, walls pushed over, gates burned with fire. No protection. No protection from the enemy. No blessing on the inside. Every, every day of life, you're looking over your shoulder. You're, you're, you're trying to figure out what to do. Will you have enough to eat? Will you not have enough, enough to eat? How hard is life right now? Because the walls are pushed over. Gates are burned with fire. We don't have an identity. We don't know who we are because the wall provides for the city, the identity. This is the city. You live inside Jerusalem, and that's all done. They're looking at, they're looking at ruin around them. Okay, now again, you don't build doctrine this way, but just see it as a picture. That describes lives, homes that are torn apart and people's lives who are a mess and all kinds of problems and difficulties and no identity. Who are we? What are we for? What is life about? Why do I exist? Is there life after death? What's going on? Every path I seem to take just leads more and more towards destruction. I can't get my foothold. Even if I have money, it doesn't satisfy. Life is hard. And that's exactly what the people in Jerusalem were like. Because the walls were pushed over, gates burned down with fire. So Nehemiah hears about this, and check out his response. Verse number 4 says this, And it came to pass that when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And the rest of the chapter is a prayer that Nehemiah prays before God. Okay, let me tell you something. And please, please, please don't set this on the shelf labeled revival meeting preaching, therefore something must be said about this. This is the truth. Yes, there are people around us whose lives are absolutely destroyed. There are people you know who their lives are a mess. They don't have peace on the inside. They've made terrible decisions, and their life shows that they've made terrible decisions. They don't know God, or they're not walking with God, and you want to see them brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see them brought to God, and you need to see, we need to see a Nehemiah 8 service where God steps in and stirs in the hearts of the people, and people respond to the preaching of the Word of God, and their lives are changed. But Nehemiah 8 never happens unless there's a Nehemiah 1 first. Where the ones 
who do know God, the ones who are aware of his covenant and mercies, the ones who said, I want to be the one to thank the Lord, the ones who said, I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold, the ones whose hearts stir, at least at times, when you consider the work of Christ on your behalf and you have given your life to God. It is those of us who have a walk with God who are called to come before God and on behalf of those whose lives desperately need the work of Jesus Christ in them, we come and we beg God. Dear God, we need you. God, please help. My son is away from you. God, my grandchild doesn't know you. God, I have great-grandchildren that don't even know who your son is. Dear God, please, my nephew is away from you. My coworker, he has nothing, he wants nothing to do with you. My friend is an atheist. Dear God, please, if you don't do something, nothing can be done. Dear God, please do a work. We confess we have sinned against you. We are wrong. Dear God, show us anything in our lives that's wrong. We'll make it right. We know that we have, as Americans, have sinned. Dear God, please help us. God, please. And Nehemiah, listen to this. For six months, prays and at times fasts. And he comes before God and he calls on God to remember his covenant and mercy. Dear God, please remember that you said if I draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to me. Dear God, please. Please remember that you said that if I lack wisdom, I could ask and you'd give it. Dear God, you said that if I came to you in Jesus' name and asked according to your will, that you would hear me, and that if you hear me, then I have the things for which I ask. Dear God, please, we need you. Dear God, please, we need you. And for months and months and months, just beg God. Sometimes... Sometimes when we don't see things happen in a couple weeks of praying, we just kind of throw up our hands and go, well, I'll just trust in the providence of God to do whatever God will do. I will tell you, friend, that I do not understand why a God who knows all things and can do all things wants me to come and ask him to do those things, but for whatever reason, he want, whatever reason is his, he wants me to. And I can't explain all the theology of how prayer moves the hand of God, but that's exactly what God says. Come and ask. Come and ask. I don't think it's super wise for us to spend all of our time considering the wickedness or the destruction of other people, but it would do us good every once in a while to remember what those who reject Jesus Christ receive. And if you're struggling with whether or not your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, neighbor belongs to the Lord Jesus, they're probably struggling with it too. My point is, we see cities broken down without walls. We see gates burn with fire. We see people's lives who need God desperately. And there may be some in this room that you need God desperately right now. That you're away from the Lord or you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'm here to tell you that there is a God. And that God loves you dearly. And that God is one who keeps covenant and mercies 
And that is a God who can change your life. You, you want to have Nehemiah 8 services? Well, there has to be the preaching of the Word of God. That's obvious. You cannot get to Nehemiah 8 unless you're willing to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah 8 never happens unless Nehemiah gets on his knees before God and begs. And I will tell you, friends, you can, forgive me, you can want till the cows come home to have services where God moves in a special way and see people saved that we've been praying for, that we've been thinking of, that we know are lost. But it doesn't happen without the preaching of the Word of God, and it doesn't happen without a group of people who are willing to get on their faces before God and say, Dear God, please, please, we need you. So you want to have Nehemiah 8 services, preaching of the Word of God, Nehemiah 8 services, you got to go through Nehemiah 1. And then if you want to have Nehemiah 8 services, you got to go through Nehemiah chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. No worries, because all of those chapters can be summarized in one four-letter word that begins with W and ends with K. Anybody want to take a guess? Okay, it's what happens. Do you, know the, do you already know the story of Nehemiah? What happens after he prays for six months? The Bible says that he comes before the king, and the king says to him, Hey, why are you sad? Okay, now time out real quickly. If the guy who tests your food for poison is sad, you do, know, you do want to know the reason why. That's legitimate. Okay, so the king says, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, um, well, back home in Jerusalem, walls are pushed over, gates are burned with fire, things are bad back home. And the king says to Nehemiah, I love this. The king says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what do you want? And the Bible says that Nehemiah prays to the Lord, and he says to the king, I need Time off, I need a letter of safe passage, I need wood to build, new, uh, to build new gates back in Jerusalem. The king says, okay, listen, to his slave, to his slave, to his foreign slave, the king says, you got it, take off. Okay, here's, God can open up doors that no man can shut. And sometimes we lament the fact that in the year 2021, we don't have access to the public schools like we used to in the good old days like the 60s. What I'm saying is that God is still God. Amen. And the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God can still open up doors. And I will tell you, I don't think it's an accident that there were six months of praying and then God opened up a door. But the opening of the door was not the final answer. It wasn't the end. It was just the entrance into work, ministry, effort. And that's what took place. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, rides around, sees all the work that has to be done. Next day, gathers all the men of uh, Jerusalem together, and he says, okay, guys, here's what needs to happen. We're going to rebuild these walls. Look at the lumber. Look at the letter. God's hand is good upon us. Let's do this. And all the men said, okay, let's do it. And they began to work. The Bible says that the people had a mind to work. Now, I will confess that the work, the work was not easy, and the work was not without its uh, trouble, right? You remember Sanballat and Tobiah? They were the guys on the outside who made fun, who pushed against, who tried everything they could to stop the rebuilding of these walls. They mocked, they threatened, and you know what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah got a lawyer and sued the pants off the guys. That's not what happened. You know what Nehemiah does? This is instructive to us. Because it may be that as God opens up doors for this church, this church, for you, 
to have ministry and reach out to people, it may be that there would be some opposition. And sometimes we almost get joy in being able to um, take somebody to court over our rights. I'm not saying it's always wrong. What I'm saying is Nehemiah is instructive because Nehemiah says, Lord, do you see these guys? They're causing problems. Would you please take care of them? I'm going to have my sword on my side. I'll be ready to fight if I have to. But you told me to come and do this. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And its focus was on what God had provided for him for ministry in the rebuilding of these walls. And that's, and that's what I did. And the people worked and they worked hard. By the way, there was some opposition within the group. The Bible says that there were some noblemen who would not put their necks to it. Can you believe this? That in a ministry that there are some people who will not get involved? <laughs> Now, I'm glad that's Old Testament, because in the New Testament, that would never happen. Okay, here's the point. Don't, don't live your life upset about what others will or won't do. The Bible says that we are to gather together, and in gathering together, we're to stir up one another unto love and good works. That is, I'm supposed to come to you and say, hey, come on, this is important. This is eternal. Let's be involved in this. There's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. There's yard signs. There's tracks you can pass out. There's stuff we can do to help get the gospel out. Come on, let's be a part of this. Jump on, get on the rope, and pull. Come on, let's do this. I'm supposed to incite you to good works. I'm supposed to encourage you to do that. Yes. But if there's somebody... Bah humbug, who won't get involved, then you know what you do? Lord, you see these guys? <sighs> Trying to help them. They're not listening. Um, we have a work to do. Okay, now let me just kind of throw in this real quickly, because this is super practical, because this can happen. Um, sometimes in, in the work that starts to be Begin to be done. That is, God opens up a door of ministry and there are opportunities. Sometimes the work comes to a halt. I'm talking about in churches. A good, eternal work can come to a halt because of issues that shouldn't halt a work, i.e. personalities. Now look, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. You know this? How many of you know that the person beside you has weaknesses. Can I see your hands, please? <laughs> all right. Obviously, all of us have strengths and weaknesses. Are, are any of you organized people? Any of you super organized? Okay, you like your sock drawers all and I mean, everything's hung up. And I, I always feel badly for anybody that I have to deal with that's very organized because I am, I am totally... I am, I am fly by the seat of your pants. I mean, I think to myself, why make a plan? I'm going to change it at the last minute anyway. And so what? Okay. <laughs> so Brittany's sitting up at the piano, and Asher got done singing. And I wasn't planning on singing tonight. But while he's singing, I thought, ah, I'd, like to, I'd like to sing this song. I, um, I just really like this song. I think I want to sing it tonight. So Brittany gets done playing. And when she gets done, you can watch her. When she gets done playing, she'll always look down at me. And uh, I think people sometimes think, oh, isn't that sweet? She's looking at her husband for a confirmation of a good job. That's not what's going on. She's looking at me going, are you going to tell me what you're about to sing, or am I going to have to guess? 
Now, she has threatened on several occasions to raise the key, a couple of keys, just to, just to uh, kind of jab. Um, and one time, one time she started playing the wrong song. But outside of that, uh, so if you're organized, I apologize, I mean, for having to work with me ever, because I am, I am not organized at all. Okay, but my being disorganized and your being organized, my being a spontaneous, we can do this. This will be fun. Yeah, I know. That's not that big a deal. Yeah, we don't have the money for it. That's all right. It's not that we can do this. Come on. Okay, my being that and your being organized is not a good reason for the work to not happen. Now, thankfully, God has established an order. That is, he's given you a pastor to help give direction. And there will be other people who are put in charge of projects. But don't, listen, listen, listen. Don't say, well, I'm not going to get involved because I do not like the way they Okay, I very seldom use sarcasm in preaching because I don't think it's super helpful, but permit me one sarcastic moment, will you? Get over yourself. Build a bridge. Get over it. Seriously, peeps. Now, it's easy for us to say and laugh at now, but the fact of the matter is, is that when somebody does stuff and you think, well, that's not the quality that we should, that we should do it. Okay, there's a proper channel. You can talk to somebody about it. I'm not saying you don't ever do anything about it because you want things done well. Eh? Yes? That's my, and that's my Canadian coming out in me. Okay. So, so that it's not inappropriate to want to do things well, but the point is, don't let that be a reason why you say, well, I'm just not going to. See, there's work that needs to be done. It's an eternal work. It's a good work. And you know, Nehemiah 8, okay, Nehemiah 8 never happens without, without the work that happens. Did you know that Nehemiah is not in love with walls? When we think of Nehemiah, we think of the wall builder. But Nehemiah's life was not about the walls. You want to know what Nehemiah's life was about? Chapter 8. Nehemiah 8 was, uh, Nehemiah rather, was interested in the people coming back to God, but there needed to be walls built and gates put up and work done so that the preaching of the word of God could go forward with power. And the point is, it all works together. You want to have Nehemiah 8 services? Man, I do. I want to see God work. I want to experience the stirring of the hand and finger of God in my heart and in the hearts of every person that I'm privileged to preach to. I want to see lost people be convinced of their need of Jesus Christ. I want to see wayward children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews come back to God and surrender their lives back to God and let God have them. I want to see all of that. I want to see revival. But if we're going to be true to the Scriptures, Revival does not happen without the preaching of the word of God, which involves the giving and the receiving, without going through Nehemiah chapter 1, and then without coming through Nehemiah chapter, chapters 2 through 7. All of it is necessary. Now, you're responsible for Nehemiah chapter 8 as a receiver. Every child of God is responsible for Nehemiah chapter 1. And each of us have a part of Nehemiah chapters 2 through 7. So would you take just a moment and consider in your own life, 
Are you fulfilling your part in each of these responsibilities, in the drawing nigh so that God can draw nigh? Is, is, is your part being fulfilled so that God would be pleased to come and move? And even if it takes six months or six years or 60 years to see a great moving of God. And by the way, God loves to hear an answer. But you just keep at it and keep at it. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, please help us to be fully convinced of what we see here in Nehemiah and his life and, and what happened with the message that was delivered to him regarding the need. We know the need of the people around us. We know that there's need, not, not fully. I mean, we don't, we don't know everything that's going on in people's homes and lives, but we know that there's needs. We know that lives are a mess and that people need the Lord Jesus. Father, that they need you and your word and your way. And Lord, I pray that you would tonight help us to be convinced of the importance of our coming before you and asking you to do what only you can do and help us to be convinced of the need of the work that needs to be done and our involvement in it. Dear God, please use this church work in the hearts of the people who are here and those who come and attend the services where your word is delivered and explained. May it have the power and the impact that you intend for it to. We know that anything you say that will happen will happen. Your word doesn't return void, that you have a purpose for it. Dear God, please, we ask that you would do just exactly that in the hearts of the people who come. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask a couple questions briefly, if I may. Num number one is this. I wonder how many tonight would say by an uplifted hand, Tim, I I'm not perfect. I know that. But I do know that I belong to God already. That is, I have already accepted Christ as my Savior. I am someone who has experienced the mercy of God by having trusted in his Son, the Lord Jesus. I am a child of God, and I know it. And as a testimony of God's grace in my life, here's, here's my hand. If you can say that with confidence, would you, would you just slip up your hand if, you, if that's something you know? Wonderful. Good. That's, that is many, um, most, and perhaps all. But let me not take for granted that it is everybody. I wonder if there might be some here tonight who would say by an uplifted hand, Tim, I don't know that I belong to God. I don't know that uh, my, my heart is his, that my eternity is secure. I, my, my eternity is a mess. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know that I belong to God, but I would like to know that, or I have questions about it. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I don't know that I have trusted Christ, but I would like to, or I have questions about it. Anyone like that tonight? Okay, next questions then. First, this. I wonder if there are some tonight who would say, Brother Tim, God dealt in my heart tonight as we looked at Nehemiah 8 and specifically about my responsibility in hearing the scriptures and hearing the preaching. I, I hadn't really given much thought to how much impact the preaching of the word of God has on my life. 
but I see that there are some choices surrounding preaching that I ought to make so that I can be a hearer and a doer of the word as well. And I see that tonight, and I want, I want the word of God to have every bit of impact that it's supposed to have in me, and I know that there are some things that need to change in order for that to happen. And you'd say, as my part of coming to God, as my part of seeing God work, that's, that's, that's the decision that needs to be made for me, and I know it. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand and let me pray with you about it? Okay. Well, God bless you. A number of you. God bless you. Good. Next question. And really, I think probably the one that applies most to us. I wonder how many tonight would say by an uplifted hand, Brother Tim, I see tonight the importance of going through Nehemiah chapter 1. I have people that are related to me or that live around here that need God in a desperate way. And I want to see God use our church to do something, um, to do something special, that God would move. But I see tonight that Nehemiah 1 is an absolute necessity for us. And I wonder how many tonight would say by an uplifted hand, Brother Tim, God's dealt in my heart about the importance of being someone who goes through what Nehemiah went through and begging God to do what only God could do. Now stop just for a second. Before anybody raises their hand, I'm not asking how many of us should pray more because all of us could say that. What I'm saying is I wonder how many tonight would say by an uplifted hand, God has dealt in my heart and I want to commit myself to taking time on a regular basis to asking God to do what only God could do because we want to see God work. And you'd say by an uplifted hand, God's dealt in my heart about that. I know that I need to. I want to. If God will help me, I'm going to. Here's my hand. Anybody like that tonight would just slip up your hand and just hold it up, just hold it up high just for a moment, would you please? One, two, three, four. Okay, you can put your hand down. I think I see about 22 or 23 hands. I'm telling you, uh, and there may be some who you're already involved in that. But, but if there are 25 people in Marlbrook Baptist Church, in this area, attend another good church in the area, if there are people who will get on their faces before God and beg God, I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who will hear and will answer. And then lastly, I wonder if there is anybody who would say, Brother Tim, God dealt in my heart about just being a part of the work. Maybe I've stepped out from doing, from being involved in ministry, or I've said other people should do it but not me, or I got upset at how something was done, and so I stepped out of it. But I see tonight that's not a reason not to be involved. Um, I, I, I want to be involved in the work that needs to be done so that God can, can use that and God can move. Anybody say tonight, Brother Tim, that's what I desire. It's what I need. I know it. Anybody like that? Okay. All right. God bless you. Good. Good. Would everybody look up this way? Hey, thanks for your kind attention tonight. I went longer tonight than I'll go any of the other nights of the week um, just because of the foundationalness of this for revival meeting. So thank you for your kind attention. I, I don't think it would be wise for me just to pray and dismiss us, though, just because of the significance of the decisions that we make in response to what has been said. I think it'd be valuable for us to commit, to take a moment now and commit before God regarding that which he's dealt in our hearts. To so take a moment and solidify it, to put it into words in a prayer to God. God, this is what you've done. This is what I desire. This is what my plan is. Please hear me. Please help. 
and just take a minute and nail it down. And I think tonight, especially, it would be an encouragement to others if you raised your hand about any of these questions regarding um, something that needs to change, I'd like to invite you in a moment to come and meet with God. And I'd like to invite you to come here to the front. Even if you don't normally, the reason why, moving geographically doesn't, doesn't change your life. You understand that. But it will be a blessing and encouragement to other people to know that God has stirred in our hearts and to come and if you're able to kneel before the Lord and to seal it before God does help it to be more of an event in your life as opposed to just a passing thought like a seed that gets taken out as soon as you step out of these doors. So even if you don't normally, if you raised your hand tonight regarding one of these things, I'd like to invite you in a moment to come and let's seal Let's seal it with God. Let's talk to the Lord about it and nail it down. If you're not able physically to kneel, of course, we understand that, but you're welcome to come and stand. Talk to the Lord. When you're finished, go back, and then when everyone's finished, pastor will come and close the service as he sees fit. All right? If you're physically able, would you mind standing with me and let me just pray for us for a moment. Father, you have shown us in your word what is good. You have taught us by example you have shown us your character and your response. You have exemplified in the, life, in the life of Nehemiah and his work what you told us in the New Testament in James and in other places. And so, Lord, we are coming in faith, trusting in your promises, leaning on the everlasting arms standing on the promises of God, our Savior. We're, we're trusting you by coming and asking you to do what only you could do. Hear our prayers. Help our hearts. Respond, please, Lord. And allow us to see your working in and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask.